Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast for the issue of May the 19th to the 25th. I'm Richard Lane. Cancer dominates this week's issue and this week's podcast, ahead of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, taking place in Chicago from June the 1st to the 5th, where this issue will be available. This week we focus on two research articles in the issue, one looking at the potential of the human papillomavirus vaccine in relation to vulval and vaginal cancer, and also an alternative treatment option for the treatment of early breast cancer. But before those two author interviews, here are a couple of other highlights to point out. We publish in print the latest findings from the UK Million Women study. This concerns the use of hormone replacement therapy and the risk of ovarian cancer, and was the focus of our podcast three weeks ago when we published the study online. Also to mention a special report looking at the legacy of the Tony Blair years in government on the UK National Health Service. But returning to our main feature, earlier I spoke to Professor Jack Kuzik from the Wolfson Institute and funded by Cancer Research UK. He is one of the authors of a paper looking at an alternative for the treatment of early breast cancer in premenopausal women. Professor Kuzik, you're one of the authors of a study in this week's issue of The Lancet looking at the potential of another class of agents for the treatment of breast cancer in premenopausal women. Can you just describe this class of agents and how they work? These agents are called LHRH agonists, and they work by blocking a pituitary hormone, which actually is the signal to tell the ovary to produce estrogen. So they basically function by stopping the ovaries from producing estrogen, and we know that estrogen is a stimulus for breast cancer. So by getting rid of that estrogen, we lower the risk of recurrence of breast cancer. And before this study published in The Lancet this week, what has research told us about the use of these agents in the field of breast cancer treatment? Well, there have been a number of trials which have actually looked at this over several decades, and the results have been somewhat mixed. The, result, the trials are of a different sorts of designs, and none of them were big enough to be convincing. And what this research has done is pulled together all of the trials and provided a, a very clear statement of what we do know and what we don't know. Perhaps you could just go on and explain a bit of the methodology here, because obviously we're looking at pooling data or assessing data from a number of trials. How many women were we able to assess in this study from how many trials? And also, to be clear, we're talking very much about premenopausal women, aren't we, who presumably are high risk because they've already had breast cancer premenopausally? Yeah, we're talking about premenopausal women who generally have higher-risk breast cancer. There were 16 trials that we had data from. Altogether, it was 11,906 women. The report primarily focused on 922 of those women who had hormone-receptor-positive breast cancer, the sort of breast cancer that responds to hormonal treatment. The trials were in sort of three different classes. Um, there were a number of trials that looked at the direct comparison of whether one of these LHRH agonists was as good as chemotherapy is just a comparison of are they equivalent. There was another set of trials, also quite a large number, that looked at whether or not adding these LHRH agonists to chemotherapy or tamoxifen made an improvement. And then the third class of trials was rather small, and it was done at an early stage. It just looked at whether an LHRH agonist versus no adjuvant treatment provided a, a significant improvement in recurrence rates. And in terms of the results, perhaps you'll help me here because like any study, particularly when we're talking about treatment for cancer and breast cancer, to be clear about results here, am I right in saying that when used alone, these LHRH agonists, when used alone, did not 
have any significant statistically any significant effect in disease recurrence or death although looking at the confidence interval is getting quite borderline to do with disease recurrence the trials show quite clearly that the LHR agonists are about equivalent to chemotherapy certainly the types of chemotherapy that were used in the times when these trials were done in the 70s and 80s that was based on over 3,000 patients now there were only a small number of patients that actually had, were in the comparison of LHR agonists versus no additional treatment. And there the effect size was about a 30% reduction in recurrence, but because the numbers were so small, that was not significant. That shouldn't be interpreted as saying that there's no effect. It should be interpreted to say that the numbers were not adequate to show that effect by itself. So not enough power, statistically. Not enough power. But if you look at these data in conjunction with the data showing that they're as effective as chemotherapy, and we know chemotherapy works, you would come to the conclusion, yes, they are effective. It's just that the direct comparison is based on a small number of patients, only 338. But when used in combination either with chemotherapy or tamoxifen, which of course we all know about tamoxifen and what a difference that's made to breast cancer treatment, they clearly do show statistically there is the power to show the benefit, isn't there? Yes. So when they're used alone, or it would appear that the reduction in recurrence is of the order of about 30%, what's achievable by these agents by themselves. When they're added to chemotherapy, we already know that that chemotherapy is going to produce that 30% reduction. And what we've seen here is another 10 to 15% reduction in recurrence. So a small additional effect uh, when added to chemotherapy. So in terms of overall conclusions and implications for, for clinical practice, pretty, pretty clear cut really, the, 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 for, for presumably for premenopausal women, high-risk group, hormone receptor positive. This clearly represents another option for treatment. I think it, it clearly represents another option. And a very reasonable interpretation of these data is that if you're a premenopausal woman with a relatively modest to low-risk cancer, a small cancer that's node-negative and not too large, then an LHR agonist plus tamoxifen is a reasonable alternative compared to chemotherapy and tamoxifen. If you've got a higher-risk cancer, then a strategy of using chemotherapy plus tamoxifen plus an LHR agonist is, is an appropriate strategy. And just to be clear, in terms of premenopausal women receiving treatment, because we're effectively blocking the ovulation process, does this result in, in uh, infertility during, during the time that treatment goes on? Or can women, if they want to have a family, can they be fertile again once treatment has, has finished? Well, certainly while treatment is taking place, the women do not produce estrogen and they become, uh, they, they will not ovulate at that time. One of the advantages of this treatment compared to chemotherapy is that chemotherapy often leads to a permanent lack of ovulation, whereas this typically only occurs during the active treatment period. The treatment period can be anywhere from two to five years, and that's still an area where there's some uncertainty as to how long it should be. But after you stop treatment, uh, ovarian function returns if you're not in a postmenopausal age by that time, and when the woman should be fertile again. Professor Kuzik, thank you for talking to The Lancet. Pleasure. Also this week, we published a study looking at the potential of the human papillomavirus vaccine, or HPV vaccine, in relation to vulval and vaginal cancer. The HPV vaccine has already been shown to be efficacious in protecting against cervical cancer. Could it do the same for vulval and vaginal cancer? Well, earlier I spoke to one of the authors of the study, Professor Jorma Pavnen from the University of Helsinki in Finland. Vulva and vaginal cancer are certainly less common cancers than 
for instance, cervical cancer. But again, uh, these cancers, these rare cancers, still count approximately 6% of all gynecological cancers. Prevention of vulval and vaginal cancer is important because uh, these cancers are not really, you cannot really screen for this cancer, so there is no screening test. Uh, again, these cancers are mostly asymptomatic and not really recognized uh, early enough and often ignored. Now, in this trial we're talking about, we didn't obviously, we didn't use cancer as an endpoint, but we used high-grade pre-cancer, and high-grade pre-cancer is certainly uh, a surrogate marker, a, a valid surrogate marker for cancer. I already said that these are relatively rare cancers, so to increase the number of valid endpoints, that is the high-grade precancer, so we combined three different clinical trials, randomized clinical trials, and this was okay since all three trials were pretty much similar uh, using the same inclusion criteria, uh, the same exclusion criteria. So the total number of uh, women enrolled in these three trials was up to 18,000. And again, consisting of the women from 24 countries, more than 150 sites, and representing globally low prevalence areas uh, where there is a good uh, health care system and again high prevalence areas where health healthcare uh, systems systems are less good the efficacy against vulvar and vaginal precancer associated with this vaccine hpv types so the efficacy was 100% but of course that's not the whole the whole truth in in meaning that if we look at the population impact, so the population impact is really important. I mean, that's what counts, since when we vaccinate young women, we don't really screen those young women for HPV DNA or HPV serology or by pap smear. We just vaccinate these women. So the population impact, and that is the 49% efficacy, is really, that really counts. The message from the term, from terms of the public health is that this vaccine, in addition to being effective against cervical cancer, so the vaccine provides an important bonus effect. Now we talk about the bonus effect. So that this trial, this study now shows that it's highly effective against these less common high-grade pre-cancers on the vulva and the vagina. It's really important to keep in mind that this is a very significant bonus effect. And me, as a gynecologist, I can certainly tell how frustrating it is to manage women with these diseases. Treatment is usually surgery. It's uh, mutilating. It's disfiguring. And certainly, it's, patients are anxious depressed, often develop, you know, problems in, in partnership and things like that. So if we now have a vaccine available that 
decreases these problems, I think it's the population impact is really, that really counts. Professor Jorma Parvanen concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.